All right, so a couple things before I get started. Um, you may or may not know that this is Lucas Westway's last Sunday in Big Sky. Um, I'd just like to give him a round of applause if you don't mind. If you don't have middle school kids or high school kids, you probably have just seen Lucas in church and know him from a distance. But let me tell you, this is a guy who I've coached with, I've hung out with, um, and he for years has given of himself. He and Shannon gave a bunch to this community and to the youth of this community. And um, coaching middle school sports is not a glamorous position. Um, some of us take it on because we're parents and we have kids who are in that program. But Lucas has done it even though he doesn't have kids and has given hours and hours. And so I didn't get to say this to you on Friday, Lucas, but I want to say thank you for all that you've given. Uh, my kids have just gotten a little bit, but I know there are many families who benefited from you. So thank you and wish the best for you in the middle Midwest. So um, also it's uh, Memorial Day tomorrow, which to us, to a lot of us means camping and we get to go outside, especially since it's not raining. Um, but um, as my son's been learning um, through eighth grade, um, He's been studying World War II. We got to watch the end of um, the Pearl Harbor yesterday. And um, to see that again and to see the fresh reminder of all that our veterans have given, um, whether it was you know from wars past or serving today, I just wanted to recognize veterans. Um, if you're a veteran and you wouldn't mind standing up, you certainly don't have to, but if we could recognize um, the services you've given. We're going to uh, we're going to talk a little, little bit about freedom and God today, but um, but it just fits perfect to talk about first uh, the freedom that we have in America, thanks to um, the service and commitment of our of our military. So we are today in First and Second Kings. So if you want to go ahead and try to track that down, we're going to talk about a season of provision. We've been going through a series on the seasons of life. Um, and I drew a season of provision, um, and we used to talk about Elijah. So my seasonal question for you today um, is, how do you need God to provide for you in this season of your life? So we all have different needs. Um, I've recently been given the opportunity to manage 97 residential rental properties in, uh, in the meadow here. And so I know for a lot of people moving to Big Sky, housing is a big need. Um, for some, it's healing. Um, for Lucas, it's relocation and establishing a, a new place. Um, much longer story, but um, I, right now my family, with my brothers, going through a, a season where we need some reconciliation. And so, from from big to small things, um, I think we're all in some way facing a, a season of of need in our life. Thankfully, one of the one of the Hebrew names for God is uh, Jehovah Jireh, which means the God God will provide. And so it fits well for us to talk about the season of provision. And we're going to look at the life of Elijah today. So if you want to open to 1 Kings 17, that's where we're going to start out. Give you a little bit of time to get there. You can pull up this funny picture of me. So I wanted to, again, a shout out to Lucas. He's a Lions fan. This is proof, Lucas, that at one point I did cheer for the Lions. I was thinking you can't call me a Fairweather fan because there's never really been Fairweather. So... Um, this is me from uh, summer of 1997 um, with braces and earring um, and a whole lot of confusion. Um, thankfully, um, having gone to uh, 
summer camp for many years. Um, this was between my sophomore and junior year of college, and the guy I'm standing next to is a guy named John, uh, John Kane who um, really had an impact on me, not necessarily because he was a great speaker, because quite honestly, he wasn't that great of a speaker. Um, what was really impressive about him and why I needed to get a picture with him is uh, watching him with the, the high school students there, he handled the Bible in a way that I had never seen anybody handle the Bible before. It was almost like people would ask him questions like, hey, John, how do I handle this with a friend? Or how do I handle this with my parents? And every answer was a, well, you know, the way David in his life dealt with his son, and he would, he would just expound on the, the, the Bible like I'd never seen. It was, it was almost like an old friend to him. He was very comfortable with it. Um, familiar and alive and uh you know we talked in a previous season about bible memorization john had the bible memorized in a completely different way than i'd ever seen before and i thought having gone to awana and memorized the verses and grown up in the church um i thought this i need to i need to understand the word the way that that this guy does um and so i committed myself to to really diving in and learn the bible that way that he did because it was such an impactful way of handling it so um we're going to try to look at the life of Elijah the way that the way that John Cain would have handled it today in a very kind of um, living, active way, um, and then we're going to look at how God provides for us and how we should respond. So, if I can set the stage um, for the life of Elijah as he comes on the scene, you can take that picture down. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so. It's uh, we've we've come we've come through the great kings of the nation of Israel, and uh, over the course of many years, uh, the nation of Israel has divided into a northern and southern kingdom. The kings, over the course of the years, have gotten worse and worse and promoted idolatry, and the nation of Israel has has fallen away from God. Um, and we've got to a point now in First Kings where we meet King Ahab and his wife Jezebel, who are declared to be the worst kings uh, as far as following God in, in the history of the nation of Israel. And so in, in 1 Kings 17, verse 1, we read, Now Elijah the Tishbite from the Gilead settlers said to Ahab, As the Lord of God of Israel lives, I stand before him, and there will be no dew or rain during these years except on my command. So Elijah shows up, and he's very different. They've been worshiping these false gods, and Elijah's name literally means, the Lord is my God. So just his name alone is confronting uh, their current belief system. And he comes from Tishba, which none of us really know where that's from, but basically when you read into a little bit, it's kind of a northern wilderness area where they were outdoorsy, they were rugged, they were rough, they probably, if they were living today, would wear vests and comfortable hiking shoes, very much like Big Sky. So this guy is an outdoorsy kind of guy. He shows up in the palace of the king, and his name starts to confront the king, and then he pronounces judgment and says, it's not going to rain for many years until I say it's going to rain. And then, in verse 2, then the revelation of the Lord came to him and said, leave here, turn eastward, and hide yourself at the Wadi Cherith, where it enters the Jordan. So, God brings him into the, uh, the palace, he pronounces judgment, and then he heads for the hills. Which is kind of an interesting way to do it, but that's how God did it. And we continue reading, uh, while you're at the Wadi Cherith, God says, you're to drink from the Wadi. I've commanded the ravens to provide, provide for you there. So he did what the Lord commanded. Elijah left and lived by the Wadi Cherith. 
where the Jordan, where it enters the Jordan. The ravens kept bringing him bread and meat in the morning and in the evening, and he drank from the wadi. After a while, the wadi dried up because there had been no rain in the land. So I have a unique perspective on ravens. Um, not a good one. What, I, I like to tell people, so I, somehow I ended up becoming an expert in trash management. Um, it's not one of those things that you aspire to growing up, but through, the, through managing HOAs and now managing Town Center, I have learned to really despise ravens. Not just because of their annoying sound, but because when, when I see them, I know I've got a mess somewhere to clean up. And ravens, if you don't know, they don't take food to people. Right? They look for food. They make a mess. They are very selfish, very consuming. And so the fact that God is using ravens to me is a humorous irony. Um, I'm assuming when I see ravens, they're not taking food to anybody. At least I sure hope they aren't because they're getting it from my trash can. So um, anyway, so that's interesting, right? Um, God's providing the basic needs of Elijah in the wilderness with birds of, with basically scavengers um, and, uh, and bottomless pottery. What is that about? Well, if you keep reading, and I won't read through all this, but you can, uh, in your Bibles, if you want to look through this, um, in verse 8 um, through verse 16, um, basically God tells Elijah, hey, go into this town called Zarephath. There's this woman there, a widow who has a son. She's going to provide for you. And Elijah's like, okay. So he leaves the wilderness and goes into Zarephath. He meets this widow, and he's like, hey, uh, I guess you're supposed to provide for me. And she's like, what are you talking about? I'm just gathering some sticks to make my last meal. My son and I are going to die. Okay, Elijah says, don't worry, God's going to provide for us. And sure enough, uh, over the course of the next three years, um, there's this pot of flour and this jar of oil that never go empty. It is literally bottomless. They scoop it, it fills back up. They pour it, it fills back up. Pretty amazing. And that brings us to our first, what I would call, big idea today. There's three of them. This is not in your notes. Um, but thankfully, you got a whole blank sheet there to fill this in. Um, the big idea is that seasons of provision are coupled with recognition of need. So I want to ask, do you feel needy for basic needs? I mean, for the most part, in Big Sky in America, like we're pretty well taken care of, right? Things are pretty easy. Um, I would say we're fairly self-sufficient. Um, and you know what? There's nothing wrong with that. Being self-sufficient is a good place to be. Um, however, it does have the opportunity to inhibit our faith. Right? For Elijah, going out into the wilderness to live by a stream, right, he absolutely needed God to provide. Um, and he had to have faith. So his faith grew in that way. Um, and this self-sufficiency gave us a false sense of security. You know that if you've ever lost a job or someone's health turned, right? things can quickly go from self-sufficient to, boy, I really need some provision right now. And uh, the importance of us recognizing our need for provision is that it points us to the provider. And that's what we want to do today. So in basic needs, um, God provided food uh, for Elijah. Both Elijah and the widow recognized their need, right? But if you read it, they they had a very different response. Elijah's response was, great God, I believe you're going to provide for me. And the widow's response was more what I would call an Eeyore response. Um, If you know, if you watch... Uh, Winnie the Pooh. Um, Eeyore is the one who's always like, even when it's good, Eeyore is like, it's probably going to get worse. Um, And that's her response, right? Like, this is just a bad situation that's only going to get worse. Um, So, God provides for our basic needs um, a food. But then, um, if we keep reading, 
in chapter 17, verse 17, it says, After this, the son of the woman who owned the house became ill. His illness became very severe until no breath remained in him. She said to Elijah, Man of God, what do we have in common? Have you come to remind me of my guilt and to kill my son? But Elijah said to her, Give me your son. So he took him from her arms, brought him up to the upper room where he was staying, and laid, on, laid him on his bed. Then he cried out to the Lord and said, My God, have you brought tragedy on the widow I'm staying with by killing her son? Then he stretched himself out over the boy three times, and he cried out to the Lord and said, My Lord, God, please let this boy's life return to him. So the Lord listened to Elijah's voice, and the boy's life returned to him, and he lived. Then Elijah took the boy, brought him down from the upper room, into the house, and gave him to his mother. Elijah said, Look, your son is alive. Then the woman said to Elijah, Now I know you're a man of God, and the Lord's word from your mouth is true. So, our most basic need, breath, the beating of our heart. We can't start it, we can't stop it, it's just there. We take it for granted, I would say, the same way that those of us who live in the mountains take the mountains for granted. Right, people come here and go, it's such a beautiful place, and we go, oh yeah, that's right, it is. Um, in the same way, I think our, our breath and our heartbeat, um, we take them for granted because they're, they're just there. We are very needy in this area, and when we don't see that, it's a missed opportunity. Elijah had faith that God provide basic needs, and the widow did not. So why does it matter that we recognize our need? Why, did, why is it such an important, uh, important thing for us to learn today? Because when we recognize our neediness, it reveals the object of our faith. Um, we all have faith in something, right? The object of our faith might be our own abilities, our own resources, right? We trust in those things. Um, it could be in other people. And then those people go away, and we realize, oh, wow, I, I was really trusting too much in that person. Um, it might be in the government, which hopefully it's not. Not a good time to be uh, trusting in the government. Um, but hopefully our trust is in God. And that brings us to our second big idea, which is need plus faith in God brings freedom. And we see that in Elijah. Right? God said, leave and go out into the wilderness, and then go to Zarephath. Um, and then this boy dies, and in all three of those... Elijah, there's no sign of him ever panicking, of him ever worrying. He seems very comfortable, very at peace, very happy, just trusting God. And the freedom that we get when we recognize our need and apply faith in God to it is that we're free to go where God calls us. If God says, go and serve these people, we go without fear. Uh, if God calls us to serve or worship or just to enjoy life, we're free uh, to do those things. Interesting, in verse 5 and 10, um, when God calls Elijah to go places, he just does it. Verse 5, it says, so he did what the Lord commanded. In verse 10, it says, so Elijah got up and went to Zarephath. So Elijah just acted freely without fear. Um, I, I always love um, when they prepared the music for today, um, Nielsen asked if there's any, ver any songs I wanted. And I was like, nah, just bring what you got. And I, in some ways, trust God that God's going to provide the, the right songs. And I love that uh, the last line in the last song was, Jesus, my captain, my soul's trusted Lord, all my allegiance is rightfully yours. And I think Elijah could easily have, have sung that song as he was in the wilderness and, and in Zarephath. Um, the other thing we get with when we put uh, faith with need as we get um, freedom from some things, from doubt, from fear, um, which is the next point in your outline. Need minus faith in God equals fear. Or I could say need plus faith in something other than God ultimately results in fear. Um, because 
everything other than God is going to fail us. We put our faith in something other than God, eventually it's going to fail. And when we've trusted that thing and it fails, then we're left going, now what? Where do I go now? I've got nothing. I, have, I only have need. I have no, no source of provision. So fear is a sign that you placed your trust or faith in something other than God or a distorted view of God. That happens sometimes, right? We say, well, God will do this for me. And then when God doesn't act the way we think he should act, we're left going, oh, wait a minute, what's going on in my life? That being said, fear is not always bad. Um, Fear of bears, right? Um, Fear of raging rivers. Um, Fear is good, but we can't. um, The fear doesn't fit with faith. Um, So, I said that that need reveals uh, the object of our faith, and I would say, what is the object of your faith? Um, Or maybe even a more basic question, what is faith? Um, There are these words that we use in church and other places where um, they just get used so much you almost forget what they mean, or even... Like, what is that? How should I use that? I just, I mean, saying it, but I don't really know what it means. And so I, I gave you on the bottom um, the best de- definition I've ever, ever heard of faith. Um, and that is, faith is believing the word of God and acting upon it no matter how I feel, because God promises a good result. Real quickly, if we can break that into pieces. Right? Believing the word of God, because God is trustworthy, God is accurate, God is proven, um, and our faith is not just in God's word. Our faith is in the giver of the word. Um, and it's important for us to know God's word. Two, acting upon it. Faith is not sedentary. Right? With Elijah, he, he didn't, just, didn't just sit there. Right? God called him to go, and he went. God called him to go, and he went. Faith causes us to move, to take action. Even when the, when the boy died, right, Elijah didn't just sit there and wait for God to heal him. God, Elijah took action. Okay? Faith has an active component. Um, faith is apart from emotion. Right? No matter how I feel, emotion is a terrible gauge. Um, faith acts in spite of our emotions. Um, and then lastly, God promises a good result. God knows what we need. He promises to provide, uh, and he always delivers. Um, the, the part as I'm going through this is a good result. Right? God gets to define what a good result is. Um, if you read this and think, I'm going to define what a good result is, you've missed the whole point. Okay? God is going to deliver the result that we need. Let's get back to, to Elijah. Um, we're in chapter 18 now. It's been three years. Um, Elijah's been out, away from the city, and uh, God calls him back to, uh, to Ahab in the palace. On his way back, he meets this guy, Obadiah, who's a godly man. Um, Obadiah tells him, hey, just so you know, Ahab's been hunting for you. Like, you're a wanted man. And Elijah's like, well, can you go tell Ahab that I'm coming back? And Obadiah's like, are you nuts? He's going to kill me. And Elijah's like, that's fine. I'll, uh, I'll go confront him. And so Elijah shows up, um, confronts Ahab, and calls for a showdown. This might be one of my, my favorite, um, favorite narratives in the whole Bible. So in uh, chapter 18, verse 20, um, God, we see how God provides courage to Elijah to stand up. So let's, let's read this, because it's too good not to read. So Ahab summoned all the Israelites and gathered the prophets at Mount Carmel. Then Elijah approached all the people and said, How long will you hesitate between two opinions? If Yahweh is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people didn't answer him a word. 
Then Elijah said to the people, I'm, I'm the only remaining prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let two bulls be given to us. They are to choose one bull for themselves, cut it in pieces, place it places on the wood, but not light the fire. I'll prepare the other bull and place it on the wood, but not light the fire. Then you call on the name of your God, and I'll call on the name of Yahweh, the God who answers with fire. He is God. All the people answered, that sounds good. So, Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Since you are so numerous, choose for yourselves one bull and prepare it first, then call on the name of your God, but don't, let fi- don't light the fire. So they took the bowl they'd given them, prepared it, called on the name of Baal, from morning until noon, saying, Baal, answer us. But there was no sound. No one answered. Then they danced, hobbling around the altar they had made. At noon, Elijah mocked them. He said, Shout loudly, for he's a god. Maybe he's thinking it over. Maybe he's wandered away, or maybe he's out on the road. Perhaps he's sleeping and will wake up. He's just making fun of these guys. Um, They shouted louder and cut themselves with knives and spears according to their custom until blood gushed out of them. All afternoon they kept on raving until the offering of the evening sacrifice, but there was no sound, no one answered, no one paid attention. So then Elijah um, says, all right, my turn. He says, got the pile up the wood, and he's like, soak it. They dug a trench around like this pile of wood where they were going to offer the, the, the bull on. And he's like, dump water on it. And they dump some water. And he's like, no, no, dump some more water on it. It was like soaked. The trough around the, the wood was just full of water. He's like, we're going to make this even harder. And then in uh, verse 30, Elijah says, um, come near me. So the people approached him. Then he repaired the Lord's altar that had been torn down. And then it goes on through verse 35 and 36. It says, At the time of the offering, the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet approached the altar and said, Yahweh, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, today let it be known that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that at your word I have done all these things. Answer me, Lord. Answer me so that this people will know that you, Yahweh, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. Then Yahweh's fire fell and consumed the burnt offering, the wood, the stones, and the dust, and it licked up the water that was in the trench. When all the people saw it, they fell face down and said, Yahweh, He is God. Yahweh, He is God. So I like the, the detail of this, right? It burned up not just the bull, but the wood and the rocks, which that's quite a bit of fire to burn up rocks, and the dust, like decimated everything. And how could they not fall down? <laughs> Right? I mean, if you see that, uh, you know it's serious. And then um, if you go on reading, Elijah seizes the prophets and, and has them all killed. So um, God provides courage to stand up first in victory. I wanted to point out something I thought was interesting. Um, when God called Elijah to do this, God didn't say, this is how you should do it. Right back in uh, chapter 18, verse 1, it, all God said was, Go and present yourself to Ahab. I will send rain on the surface of the land. That was it. So imagine if you're Elijah and you're standing there, right, and you've just put out this big challenge, and you're like, okay, God, I really need you to come through here. And he didn't have like a small thing, right? I mean, asking God to rain fire from heaven, like, that's pretty uncommon. And so Elijah's there, completely out on his own, um, acting in faith, believing God would come through. Um, If you click to the next... I found this very interesting as I was preparing. So this is actually a statue of Elijah on Mount Carmel. Like, this is, this is history to the, to the Jews, right? Um, so he acted in faith, and he got this 
He got this like amazing story, amazing deliverance, a uh, picture of God's providence, and he got a statue too, which obviously he didn't know about statue. Um, but the application for us is God calls us to go also, right? To go and make disciples, to stand for his word, to stand up courageously, which um, if you turn on the news, it's pretty hard to miss the fact that now's not a great time to stand up as a Christian. Um, we're not going to be killed or threatened, um, but you might get a lawsuit against you. You might be shouted down. You might be encouraged to go away. I mean, like right now, doing what Elijah did, very unpopular in America. But God has called us to go and do this. And in the season provision, God has provided or provides courage for us to stand up. So um, God gives us courage to stand up for the truth. Now, uh, love this, this twist. Um, as we turn to 1 Kings 19, Elijah's this amazing victory. And then and Jezebel, Ahab's wife, says, May the gods punish me and do so severely if I don't make your life like the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Like, she's going to kill him. Right? And Elijah, this amazing man of faith, does what? He runs. You're like, wait, what? This guy's been standing up. He just saw God rain fire from heaven. And his response is to head for the hills again. Um, but God meets him there, and God provides courage and depression and loneliness. We pick up in uh, chapter 19, verse 9. It says, And the word of the Lord came to him, to Elijah, and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord of God, the God of hosts. But the Israelites have abandoned your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets. I alone am left, and they're looking for me to take my life. Then God said to him, Go out and stand on the mountain in the Lord's presence. At that moment the Lord passed by. A great and mighty wind was tearing at the mountain and was shattering cliffs before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire there was a voice, a soft whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. Suddenly a voice came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said again, I've been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, but the Israelites have abandoned your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with a sword. I alone am left, and they're looking for me to take my life. Not only does God provide courage to us when we're in these like high mountaintop experiences, um, but at this low point in Elijah's life, when he's on the run, hiding in a cave, and if you looked at a map where he went, he's from the north of Israel. He went as, as far south as he could go. Like, he wasn't just trying to, like, get out of town a little bit and find a quiet spot. Like, he was getting as far away from this as he could possibly go. And yet, God, God provides courage in two ways. Um, the first is his presence. And I love this. This whole time of Elijah running away from this, God doesn't show up and say, what are you doing? Get up and get back into the city. Right? He doesn't, he doesn't give a pep talk like, hey man, everything's good. Why don't you just go ahead and, you know, you'll be fine. Um, he doesn't. He just shows up and he encourages him with his presence. And then if you keep reading, um, he encourages him by pointing Elijah to, uh, to the community of believers that are left. And he gives him a friend whose name is Elisha. Um, and Elisha's with him until the end. So God provides two sources of courage for Elijah. And the application for us here is, um, for those of us who are in a season of depression or loneliness, God is there. 
right? In the same way that he was with Elijah in the wilderness when there was nobody there, um, God is there with the still small voice. And we need to listen for that in those, those moments of depression and loneliness. We're never alone. And um, we have a Christian community around us, right? Um, there are people here today and people who are out camping today, but they're here for us. Um, we have this great community in Big Sky of believers. So God provides courage to stand up when we're down. So whether, whether you're in the, the spectrum of depression and loneliness, you might be in the cave at the far end of Israel, or you might be on the mountaintop of victory, God is providing courage in both of those situations and everywhere in between. I, I just love this beautiful juxtaposition. You've got Elijah reaches out for his object of faith in, in, in the highest of highs and in the lowest of lows, and he finds courage. The last third big idea is that God doesn't mandate our method. Right? He knows and welcomes us. Elijah called out to God and called God to rain fire from heaven. And God's like, yep. Elijah ran and was wallowing in self-pity and discouragement and alone. And he cries out to God and he's like, I'm the only one left. Why am I here? This is horrible. And God answers him. There's a, a couple of verses in Hebrews that I think totally uh, fit this. It says, for we do not have a high, this is Hebrews 4, 15 and 16. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. It hits all the points we're talking about today. Um, we have a need and God encourages us to come to Him with confidence exactly as we are. He's not saying, do it this way, use these words, put this on, clean yourself up first. God just says, come in all circumstances. And then in response, we should not mandate His response. Right? When we seek God, sometimes His answer comes in a fireball. Not often. I don't think anybody's seen a fireball. But, you know, miraculous. Um, sometimes it comes in a whisper, and sometimes it's silence. So in your current you know, season of need or provision, if you're seeking God and you're not getting the answer you want, then maybe we need to change what we think we need in that moment. God calls us to seek Him and to trust Him for the response. So the most important provision is our last provision, and that is hope and death. So Elijah lives this great life. Elijah's, Elisha is with him. Uh, it says in... 2 Kings chapter 2 verse 9 chapter 2 verse 1 the time had come for the Lord to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind again pretty amazing so basically Elijah is like Elisha why don't you stay here I got to go over there God's going to take me up to heaven and Elisha's like no way I'm coming with you and Elijah's like all right fine so he goes over here and he's like Elisha why don't you stay here I'm going to go over there and God's going to take me to heaven and Elisha's like nope I'm coming with you. So basically all the way, it was like four times, Elijah's like, dude, you can go ahead and I'm done. Like, I'm going to heaven. You can just leave now. And Elisha's like, nope, I'm coming with you. Um, great. I mean, there's a whole separate, this is like three different sermons in one sermon. Uh, I just love the picture of Elisha. Like, nope, I'm with you, man. 
Um, so finally they get to the point, and we're in uh, chapter 2, verse 11 and 12. As they continued walking and talking, a chariot of fire with horses of fire suddenly appeared and separated the two of them. Then Elijah went up into heaven in the whirlwind. Amazing. As Elisha watched, he kept crying out, My father, my father, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. Then he never saw Elijah again. He took hold of his clothes and tore them into two pieces. So, a little biblical interesting fact. There's only two people in the history of the Bible who've never actually died physically. This is one of them. And this has got to be like the coolest recorded way of not dying. Right? Enoch, earlier it says, Enoch walked with God and then he was no more. Not near as cool. Like, this is amazing. But the story for us is that um, God provides a way for hope and death when we could never, ever possibly provide for ourselves. Right? In some ways we could believe we can provide our own food and we can provide our own encouragement. We can't do this. We could never provide our own way. Hope and death is provided by God through his death and resurrection or the gospel. Um, what greater need, what greater provision is there than that? And Elijah has it, right? So all we need to do is believe Jesus died so that we may be forgiven of our sin and given new life and hope and death. If you have believed and received, what a way to celebrate a provision, right? And the giver of that provision. Seasonal, our seasonal reminder is that God's provision, no matter what season you're in, comes through knowing Him and drawing near to Him, like Elijah did. So no matter your need, whether it, it may be food today, it may be housing, it may be family rec- reconciliation, it might be a new pastor, right? Um, or maybe it's eternal life. Um, no matter where you are, God is the provider. Right? Jehovah Jireh is the provider, and He will provide if we will just seek Him. So that's, that's what the life of Elijah tells us. Let me pray for us. God, we, we are needy. Um, and we, we know at times that those needs are uh, not so obvious. And other times, other seasons, um, the needs are present. And they are right in front of us. And we don't know what else to do. So God, no matter where we are in life, no matter whether we're feeling needy or whether we are uh, feeling pretty self-sufficient, God, I pray that you would help us to see our need, help us to see the God who provides, and help us to draw near to you with confidence, not, uh, not in a specific way, but as we are. May we come as we are to you because you receive us no matter our circumstances, no matter our, our posture, no matter our disposition. You love us and you welcome us and uh, we need you. Thank you, God. Amen.